So it's day 645 of Vladimir Putin's 10-day special military operation. Um, and since most of the major news outlets have let their Ukraine commentary wane a little bit, I thought I'd pick up from where I left off when I was doing Ukraine with Sky News, um, let them concentrate on Israel Hamas, but try and bring you a regular update, um, possibly weekly, possibly twice a week, um, on what it is that's going on. Uh, because I'm starting to see a lot of what I would call uninformed comment or bollocks being talked about um, where Ukraine is, what Ukraine's position is, and what's happening on the ground. So let me just try and bring this into a degree of context. I'm going to use the mapping that's supplied by UK military intelligence. Um, they put this out. Um, it was coming out daily. It's coming out um, every few days because uh, what's happening on the front line itself isn't changing massively. But there are some significant activities going on. Now, as we get into this, too many people are measuring the success of the war on what is happening on the front line, the tactical battles, whether this red or pink shaded area on the map that we can see is shifting in the Russia in Russians' favor or whether it's shifting back in Ukraine's favor. And I think, and I will explain why I believe that is a very naive way of measuring the success of the operations. Uh, the Russians, starting from the north, um, are continuing with the, with their uh, attacks in the in the northern area that we see here, not making any um, real progress whatsoever. Um, it's in through uh, forested areas. Uh, they're coming against well prepared Ukrainian defensive positions, um, and there's not much effort being put in there. That's that's really just just a, a degree of probing. Um, Ukraine continues to attack um, in around Bakhmut, and over the last few months has had a degree of success in this particular area, attacking in to the north of Bakhmut, and in from the south of Bakhmut, um, and capturing uh, several kilometers of territory back, but not actually going into the town itself, because they saw how much um, of a problem that was for the Russians attacking into it whenever the Ukrainians held the town, um, and they don't want to replicate the, the, the same issues. They're happy to uh, continue to keep the Russians focused on there um, because it is in effect fixing the Russians in place. It's fixing the uh, military capability there. It's fixing them psychologically. The Russians over the last day or so have had a little bit of success um, uh, uh, counterattacking back in back in in, a, in a certain areas, uh, but we will see this continuous swing to and fro. But it shows that the Russians are still pumping um, a lot of capability into the area to try and uh, maintain what they had captured uh, in Bakhmut after over twelve months of Wagner fighting through there um, and thousands and thousands of casualties, as well as thousands of pieces of equipment being destroyed. Where Russia's main effort seems to be at the moment is in the uh, area of, of Avdivka. Um, and Avdivka, um, effectively, we have a salient where Russia has got um, uh, the territory to the north of the town and territory to the south of the town. The town itself has been held by the Ukrainians since 2014 um, and has been you know, effectively become an armoured stronghold. Um, the Ukrainians still have um, uh, good lines of communications into the town. 
Um, the Russians are not interfering with those greatly, so they can resupply uh, the troops that they've got in this, this armoured stronghold. But to the north of the town, there is a big um, uh, factory complex, metalworks, uh, and all the rest of it, which is where the Russians, the Russians are having um, a degree of success as they try and, they try and clear that out. Um, however, it is at a massive, massive cost. The Russians are losing thousands of troops a day. They're pouring more and more infantry into the battle um, and gaining very, very little ground. And they're losing tens of armoured vehicles a day. They're losing you know, eight to ten tanks. They're losing um, uh, eight to ten artillery pieces, if not more. They're losing air defence equipment in the area. Um, and they're just piling more and more and more into it. Again, from a Ukrainian position, it is a fixing operation. You know, they, they are holding the Russians in place. They're fixing them in that area. Um, uh, and that complements their fixing operations that they're doing in Bakhmut. Um, the Russians keep throwing lots and lots and lots of capability at these areas, but um, they're not making the sort of progress that you'd expect with what it is that they're throwing at it. Um, the Ukrainians are holding them and holding them off. And looking at the, some of the Ukrainian statistics, you know, there's almost seven or ten Russians to every one Ukrainian being killed uh, in the area, and uh, tens of more pieces of equipment. It's difficult to analyse because there is fairly good reporting of Russian casualties, both from the Ukrainian side and on wider um, open source intelligence. Uh, channels. There's very little reporting on Ukrainian casualties. So again, that, that is a difficult one to assess. Uh, the Ukrainians continue to have um, some uh, successes done in the Zaporizhia area. You know, we've got Zaporizhia here. Um, they are continuing to attack down in towards um, uh, the, uh, the def Russian defensive positions. They penetrated two, if not three, of the Suvorikin line of um, Russian defensive lines that um, are, are, are through this area. Um, and these are minefields with anti-tank traps, uh, covered by indirect fire, covered by direct fire in many places. It's probably the most one of the most comprehensive defensive belts that we've seen since the Second World War. And I'd argue even um, from during the Second World War, it's, it's, um, it's been more comprehensive than anything else. Again, slow progress, but would expect that on the front line. The, the one thing that is consistent about this, this whole area at the moment is that it is now being affected by um, the weather um, because we've now got freezing cold conditions. But those freezing cold conditions aren't enough to um, make the ground freeze. The ground is still very, very boggy indeed. Um, and that is not good for manoeuvre warfare, for armoured warfare. It is much better for those that are in defensive positions, i.e. majority the Russians, um, apart from in Avdivka, where you've got the Ukrainians in defensive positions. Um, and uh, it, it will result in a stalemate uh, at that tactical level because it's very difficult to make um, gainful advances um, and to try and capture more territory. If you sit there and do nothing whenever you're in a position like that, then um, you have got the stalemate that everyone talks about. But the Ukrainians are not doing nothing. And we also have to recognise that um, the Russians are in a very difficult position when it comes to 
um, the morale of their troops, their equipment of their troops, and the freezing cold conditions. They do not have the uh, equipment, the logistic support, um, the uh, leadership to keep morale high for the Russian troops that there are that are that are sitting suffering in their trenches um, through the cold weather, and that's only going to get worse through the winter. Um, where the Ukrainians are making um, uh, some tactical advances is in this area, uh, down just um, opposite Kherson, um, in the uh, across the the the, the Dnipro, um, and they have managed to get um, elements of um, uh, a naval infantry brigade across the Dnipro River with some equipment, with some armoured vehicles. Um, but light armoured vehicles, and they've managed to, to uh, build from what was a uh, you know, a, a little um, almost raid into a bridgehead that the Russians have been trying to uh, deal with for um, a couple of months now. The Russians have been trying to attack in, in to deal with it. The Ukrainians are making very clever use of FPV drones, in particular in this area, to destroy Russian indirect fire their artillery um, and any um, Russian armor and equipment that, and vehicles that are coming in to try and um, carry out tactical attacks against the area to, to shift them across. And the Russians are not having any success. Now, what this means is um, if we're looking at the whole of the, the, the whole of the front line, this whole front line uh, that's here is over 600 kilometers long um, and the Russians cannot concentrate their reserve forces in a way to um, give them an advantage in any particular area that's there. The Ukrainians are keeping the Russians spread out all over the place, whilst the Ukrainians are having an increasing amount of success in destroying troops, equipment, artillery, air defence, um, engineer capability, and ru effectively Russia's tactical capability on the ground. Russia is now having to field more and more new units, those new units are badly trained, badly equipped, and being fed into what's increasingly being seen purely as a meat grinder. Russia's two main efforts are Avdivka and it seems Bakhmut. Um, the Ukrainians are um, so, sort of south of Zaporizhia um, and trying to split that land bridge again. Uh, but also, uh, I'm keeping a very close eye on this bridgehead they've got across from, from Kherson because we may see that develop a little bit more into what is defensively Russia's soft underbelly and again could influence the lines of communication coming up from um, uh, Crimea up through here to be able to resupply all the Russian troops that are in these sorts of areas here um, and, and, fur and further up. Um, so it's, it's very, very important uh, for the Ukrainians. So from a tactical perspective, not much movement on the front line, a lot of things happening on the front line, and the Russians seem to be coming off worse. Um, when it comes to uh, what's happening um, and, and why the Russians haven't got the ability to go forward, the Russians still have a, a, an element of air maneuverability. Um, they're, they're getting their air force more involved, but they're having to get them more involved in uh, tactical operations, um, and the Ukrainians are shooting more down. Um, the Russians heavily overmatched 
645 days ago, heavily overmatched Ukrainian artillery on the ground. Um, we're now getting to almost parity because Ukraine has got longer range um, and more accurate artillery capability that's there. And the use of FPV drones by both sides is significant. Ukraine is, seems to be having a bigger success with those than elsewhere. The, things, the thing the Russians have got at the moment that um, is providing them uh, greatest success is, as I said, that air and aviation capability, but also their electronic warfare capability. They've got significant electronic warfare that is disrupting a lot of what Ukraine's doing from a tactical perspective. So if I was Ukraine, where would I be focusing myself on? I'd be focusing myself on um, Russian air defences, Russian um, electronic warfare, continue on uh, Russian um, artillery systems, um, and uh, then try and get my operational level to attack um, uh, airfield and aviation assets and try and degrade those. Surprise, surprise, that's what we're seeing is happening. Um, and what I think we're going to see um, happen more as we come into the winter months um, and uh, as <coughs> things develop, uh, we're going to see the Ukrainians doing uh, much more of this, um, supporting what they're what they're doing tactically on on the on the on the on the front line um, with the attacks, um, uh, the tactical attacks, helping to destroy um, and uh, rip down Russian armor and Russian artillery, um, using HIMARS, um, using Scalp and Storm Shadow missiles to attack into. Um, uh, uh, Russian logistics and these um, symbols are really just placed um, for illustrative purposes only. They aren't accurate, not just inside um, uh, occupied Ukraine itself, but also inside Russia. Um, and we've already seen started to see some indications of this, um, but I think we're going to see through the winter months an increased amount of um, Ukrainian activity, drone activity, we'll see a big surge of into Russia itself, attacking military bases, lines of communication, railway sites, and we'll see an increased amount of special operations executive type operations going on as well, attacking into these, these different areas to try and disrupt uh, Russia's ability to move military capability into its rear areas to support the tactical battle. Effectively, what we're seeing is the Russian military being hollowed out from behind and attacks going into those very vital helicopter um, assets and air assets that are still having an impact on the, the, fr the front line, as well as attacking the air defense assets. Because remember, Ukraine is starting to prepare itself for the arrival of F-16 fighters at some stage. And the more the Russian air defense is degraded, the more the F-16s will be able to have um, a, a better influence on that front line as we come into the new year. In addition to that, and especially because of the psychological impact that there will be, I suspect in the winter months, we will see um, the Ukrainians starting to attack again. And again, these arrows are uh, illustrative, attack again into Crimea to try and show to the Russians that Crimea is not a safe place for them to be. We've seen recent storms and storm damage in there. Um, uh, disrupting some of the uh, defences that the Russians have around the Kirsch Bridge area. Um, and the Ukrainians may try and 
um, exploit that. We've seen the Ukrainians have such successes against the Russian Navy. You know, a country without a navy um, have more sink more capital ships than have been sunk since um, I think the Falklands crisis was the last one, and the potentially more um, since the the this, the Second World War, forcing the, much of the Russian navy to move away from its Crimean ports across into Russian ports. But it shows that Russia does not own the Black Sea, and Ukraine is still continuing to export grain um, that is still feeding the world, um, and Russia uh, and, and showing Russia's impotence in being able to try and stop that. So there's a lot going on at the moment, and the lack of movement from a tactical perspective on the frontline battlefields is by no way an indication of. Um, this, the successes that are going on. Ukraine's continued hollowing out of um, the Russian capability behind that, the way it's uh, writing down Russian tactical capability and operational capability is significant. Um, and it, it is that that will have a significant impact next year. We, sh we shouldn't let lack of movement on the front line um, cause um, any problems from a political perspective, because next year is going to be politically really quite difficult anyway, um, given the fact that um, we've got the US presidential elections and as a much smaller sideshow, uh, UK um, uh, uh, parliamentary elections coming up as well, potentially, I would argue, possibly autumn sometime um, around the same sort of time as the US presidential elections. Um, but a lot going on um, and a lot going on on a daily basis. This is a general overview. Um, I will try and focus this down a little bit more. Um, and if there's anything of any real detail I need to go into, please feel free to ask me some questions. I'll look at that um, and I'll try and get this as a regular output. But thank you very much indeed for listening. Um, that's me. Hopefully at some stage soon, you'll see me back in the Sky Studios. Um, you will see me on Talk TV fairly frequently talking about um, not just Israel Hamas, but um, a lot of other things that are happening around the place um, and find me on lots of other channels. But um, until next time, thank you very much indeed.